Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, we're halfway through summer and counting down the days now to the beginning of Duck Sports. So, you know, we've got a, about a month and a half for football. But even more exciting, we have less than a month for the beginning of Duck Sports in the way of soccer, which has an exhibition game August 11th, but the season starts against Baylor August 18th. That's less than a month away. And yeah, I, I, I can sense your excitement about soccer. And uh, honestly, Hithliday, yeah, I feed off of it. I'm excited also. I, yeah, I'm not sure a soccer exhibition counts as sports. Um, yeah. Uh, but what does count as sports is uh, women's basketball. You have uh, been writing a series on um, the various Pac-12 teams, uh, previewing them. Um, there's there's kind of a, a, a pretty harsh division in the Pac-12 between uh, the good teams and the bad teams. And uh you, you pretty much started with the bad teams, um, mm-hmm. uh, although one of the bad teams beat Oregon in the uh, in, in the women's NIT last year, and that was uh, the the Washington Huskies. Um, why don't we start uh, talking about them? Uh, you wrote an article about them most recently. Um, what did you What did you think about this team? Uh, you know, they made a deep WNIT run. Like I said, they beat Oregon. Uh, did they deserve it or was that, you know, just Oregon kind of screwing around and finding out? Um, no, I think it's one of those things. Well, uh, to back up a little bit in, in terms of character and and uh, record and that kind of stuff, uh, Oregon and Washington were very nearly identical. In fact, they, they both tied for eighth in the uh, Pac-12 standings last season. Mm-hmm. And they had similar records, uh, similar runs into the WNIT, and uh, both programs are going to have uh, some new faces this this coming season and significant new faces. Um, you know, um, with with Washington, they do return uh, the, probably their best player from last year. Uh, Deliah Daniels. Uh, she was the only player that scored double digits. Um, in you mean in terms double of double digits in terms on of, average, right? Yeah, points per game. And uh, she also had significantly more block shots than uh, than anybody else on the team. Well, she's huge, but, right? Like she's six four. You know, yeah. she's like their you know yeah, dominant and, inside player. And I I get the yeah, she's one of those six four players that uh, plays taller than her actual height. You know, like Cameron Brink of Stanford. Yeah, she's also six four, but um, boy, you just you have a hard time getting past Cameron Brink. Um, this is a, a younger player. She was a freshman last year, and so uh, there's room to improve. And there's going to be, uh, there's been some attrition with, uh, in terms of the core group from last season's team um, that won't be there. So they'll have to bring in new faces and, and they will. Well, they, besides it, Daniels, their next two best scorers were uh, Haley Van Dyke and Lauren Schwartz and they lose both of them, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and that's that's a significant void to fill. Um, it's not unlike uh, Oregon losing, you know, Tahina Pow Pow and India Rogers. It's uh, you, you know, you can say and characterize what you like about those Oregon players and their performance, but but they were responsible for a significant. Uh, veteran presence and sig- significant points last year for Oregon. Um, Haley Van Dyke and Lauren Schwartz 
where you know, it's kind of the same boat. You know, it's really odd how how the two teams kind of weirdly parallel uh, each other, and so it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what the Huskies bring. Um, and as I said in in my article, they don't even have a, a roster posted for this coming season. Uh, they have some some holes that they need to fill. Uh, I don't see any portal yeah, action as of yet. Yeah, so I don't get we, it, man. Like, I, you know, I, I you know, I read your article and I checked out the recruiting, and it's like I, I don't see the talent coming up, and I didn't see them taking transfers, and it's like I don't get where they're going to try to, you know, where are they going to fill in that sort of scoring? Yeah, it's it's really curious, um, and you know, just uh, based on our periphery look, uh, I don't see them really significantly improving uh, over last year. Whereas the Ducks, uh, a mirror image, if you will, even if it's a blurry mirror, um, they do have some new talent and some new stuff coming in. And you can point at this this player and say, okay, I I can see Oregon making some progress next year. Uh, You can't do that for Washington. Well, I mean, they have some freshmen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, coming in, right? You have Olivia Anderson is a freshman, right? Is going to be a true freshman, right? And uh, uh, Sevilla Sellers is going to be a true freshman, and those are relatively highly rated, right? Yeah, well, all four of the, the players that they uh, are bringing in uh, are fairly high, highly rated, you know. But, um, but it's all what- true freshmen, right? Like, there's nobody... What I'm getting at is that, like the the you know they they return three starters like one of them we know is 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 pretty good you know Daniels you know the the you know they're they're big in the middle, um, mm-hmm. but like the other two starters you know Styles and Noble are like role players you know the like they don't mm-hmm. score points you know and I assume that their like positions are going to be secure on the court but like the the other returners who aren't true freshmen like. Those were, you know, Washington wasn't rotating. That was the other thing, you know, I, I, you know, yeah. I pulled it up like the, you know, those were players who couldn't push the role players out of the way. So like it's, if they're not taking, you know, it's not going to be the other returners and they're not taking any transfers. So it's going to have to be the true freshman. And it's like, I guess we'll find out about the true freshman, you know, like, yeah, Washington had the the number fifteen uh, rated uh, recruiting class yeah. going into this year. I guess we're, we're going to find out uh, how accurate that the recruiting system is because uh, you know we saw what happened when you bring in a bunch of five stars that sure that, that don't pan out. You know, it's kind of an open question as to. Uh, whether and how these freshmen pan out and, you know, how quickly they get up to Pac-12 speed. Yeah. I mean, it's really going to, you know, it's a really interesting thing about Washington. You know, it's like they're, they're like entirely betting on, on at least two of four fairly talented, true freshmen, you know, working out, which is like, that's a series of dice rolls, which like could work out, you know, like they, they, that could be a team that, it, you know, if those dice rolls work out, they could jump up, you know, because the Pac-12 women's basketball, like it's ripe for the taking, you know, like that's a team to watch out for because if it mm-hmm. happens, they could jump up. And then, you know, because then that would form a core of like, you know, because Daniels, you know, she's going to be a true sophomore. So she's going to be around for a while. And if they do get two of those four true freshmen who pop, like they'll be around for a while. Like that would be a core of a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. You know, like Washington would be a team to watch out for for a long time. But on the other hand, like if it doesn't happen, like they got nothing, you know, like that, that, you know, like this is a real, you know, 
I, I don't really see a whole lot of like, you know, steady middle, you know, like, you know, middle outcome possibilities here. Like either they're freshman pop and this is a really dangerous team for like years uh, or they don't. And it's like, ah, shit. You know, like down to the bottom yeah. of the pile with you, you know, like, you know, they, they had an OK year where they had a deep run in the WNIT because they had some senior leaders who were scoring points for them. And then they graduated and they had to bet on true freshmen and aw shucks, it didn't work out like, yeah, it's a, you know, that's what happens yeah. when you have to roll the dice. And it's really hard to predict um, sight unseen yeah. how this team's going to play, yeah. you know, which that again is kind of curious, kind of like Oregon. Yeah. It, we just don't really well, know. Oregon, to, Oregon took transfers, you know, and like the thing about transfers is that like you have a little more data, you know, playing in the college game, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a like, yes, that too, you know, has a range of possibilities, uh, you know, because there's always, you know, when when they're going to a new school, you know, there's always a range of possibilities for how that works out. But like there's more of a middle you know, ground, you know, like there's more of a bell curve, you know, to it. It's, it doesn't look like a twin tail, you know, when you have transfers, you know, transfers tend to make it look like, you know, well, you're, you're probably going to, you know, get something in between, you know, and when you get a bunch of them, you know, with a bunch of experience, you can sort of like predict sort of a steady, you know, like when, when I go about making predictions, I just sort of like, I take the average because like, that's how bell curves work, you know, like with Washington, it's like, oh man, it's more like flip a coin, you know? Because, you know, that's what happens when you get like talented freshmen and you're just like, oh, yeah, I guess we'll find out. On the other hand, Wazoo, you know, the other women's basketball program that you profiled um, uh, uh, this week um, doesn't really look like that, <laughs> you know? No, they don't. Um, they they had their, uh, their best season ever last season and made, uh, you know, a, a run through the Pac-12 tournament that no one, if anybody had bet real money on Washington State, uh, they would have come away pretty rich because no one had uh, Washington State to go all the way. I mean, with, there- with uh, 21 wins, that was their most successful season. And... And, uh, of course they, they, uh, lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament, but it's their third consecutive run at the NCAA tournament. And so they're, they they show some consistency. Um, Washington state also returns, uh, four of their five starters from last season. Right. Exactly. Like it was a veteran, like the reason to that, that it was like, I'm not saying that it was predictable that they would, they were going to win the PAC 12 or anything, but like they, if you look at the previous year, like the, the 21, 22 season, like it's the same starters, you know, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be the same starters minus one, you know, for the next year. And so it's like, you know, it's not the coin flip for like it was like it is for UW. Plus, like the 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 folks that they brought in to, to plug the holes, like their transfers, you know, with like some experience, right? So like I, Wazoo is gonna be like you, you know yeah, they're gonna be the the defending, you know, ter- tournament champ. Uh, it, with this a very predictable team, you know, it's a very solid team uh, that are super veteran and, uh, and with transfers to, and multiple transfers, right. You know, they didn't just take one and bet on her, you know, they took two, you know, to, to hedge their bets, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's how you're. Yeah. 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 And uh, as you constantly uh, harp on, you know, rightfully so about roster management, this looks like a, an example of good roster management in yeah, women's really basketball. So. It's, it, you know, it's uh, with the same group, it's uh, hard not to uh, keep them out of the equation. Yeah. You know, come pack 12 season time or, or tournament time. You know, they, they've shown that, that they can get the job done and, this uh, veteran core group, it has 
a lot of confidence from having made the run that they did last year. So, you know, the, the, the starters are, uh, Charlize, uh, Lager Walker. Um, uh, you're gonna have to help me with, with some of these. I just don't know them off the top of my head. Uh, Tara, I remember Tara Wallach and jo- uh, Joanna Teeter. Um, mm-hmm. but who are the other two? Oh, let's see. Oh, the one that they it's, lost is Ula Matuga, right? She she was the one who graduated. Yep, and they'll be bringing back uh, Bella uh, Maricatete. Oh, right, the center, right? I yes. forget the center, Maricatete. Um, uh, right. So, um, so yeah, bringing back all of them except for the forward Matuga. Um, uh, and then the the two transfers that they brought in. Um, uh, 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 Jenna Villa, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. Um, not Jenna Villa, uh, uh no, Eleonora was- Villa, uh, but El- uh, Eleonora Villa is, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, they they got two villas, that's what confused me, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, no, the the other one is Beyonce Bea who right, came right. from Idaho, uh, Idaho right. and was an outstanding Yeah, just crossed the border over league. from Idaho. Right, right, right. 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 Um, so, she, um, I, uh, I have no doubt that she's going to be uh, a solid player and work into the uh, Cougar system. Yeah, she's a four-year, you know, like the Big Sky, which is a, you know, a lower division, but like she's been an all-Big Sky player for four years running, you know, like, mm-hmm. like Wazoo's just going to plug her in, you know, like, look, I, I guess, you know, what Wazoo's team and, and what they're sort of like, look, what their season uh, demonstrates and the fact that they're going to be like, they returned their coach, they returned basically the same team and they returned that team from the previous year too. like what all of that st- sort of stability and just like winning the tournament because they were a stable team. And I sort of like is damning with faint praise. I know. And I mean, it is damning with faint praise uh, is that like, that's, th- that's how ripe for the taking women's basketball in the pack 12 is right now. Um, like all you needed to be was a really solid team. You know, they were like the Utah football, uh, you know, uh, you know, in fact, Utah women's basketball was the team that they beat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, but but like the, the the analogy to, yeah, uh, Willingham's team, and teams Whittingham. Is, don't, is don't confuse Kyle Whittingham, who's a good coach, with <laughs> Ty Willingham, who was a yeah. bad coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's Willingham. Uh, uh, but it's it, it's a valid analogy. Um, sure. but yeah, the uh, the the uh, you know all you needed to be in this conference was just a really solid team full of veterans who just, you know, knew how to play and knew how to play together and had been doing so for two years. And now they're going to do all of that again with good roster management. You know, they brought in, you know, multiple transfers. They know what they're doing. Uh, You know, yeah, I think this is a dangerous team on the other hand, or I think this is a really solid team. I I don't envy anybody who has to go up and play in Pullman, um, you know, to play against this team. On the other hand, the fact that it was this team that won you know, still, and the fact that they just immediately went out in the pack in the NCAA tournament, right? You know, they and I mean they got clobbered, right? Yeah, yeah, and that that's really the next step for them is uh, they've the Cougars have only been to the NCAA tournament four times. And they've lost every times, time, right? And they, they've lost every time, and three of those times was the last three consecutive seasons. Yeah, so. You know, if, or, if they're going to something, yeah, yeah. I mean, it shows progress, and if they're going to make a move forward, um, you know, uh, I think this upcoming team is the one that you do it with. Sure, but my my, I mean, sort of. My point here is, you know, sorry to any Cougs fans who are listening to this, who are tuning in to hear like a praise and adulation and just sort of nonstop worship of the uh, Cougs. Uh, You deserve some of that. Um, 
but I'm immediately going to pivot in way to say like the the fact that this Cougs team was the one who won the Pac-12 last year indicates how weak the Pac-12 was and that this team is just going to get knocked off as soon as any team in the Pac-12 gets their stuff together um, because like this wasn't like a super talented team. This was a team that was the, you know, like the default, like this is what happens when nobody else had their stuff together. Um, and so like good for the kooks for taking advantage. Uh, like that's what they're supposed to do. Um, and, and and no one should take anything away from them. Like having your stuff together when nobody else does is like, that's how most people get ahead in the world. <laughs> I know it's yeah. how I have. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, no, this team, you know, if uh, a particular team uh, that lives uh, on the other side of the Columbia River, uh, you know, uh, gets their stuff together, should smash this team to a million pieces. Um, yeah, well, you know. and it was just one of those things that that in last season's Pac-12 tournament, Stanford threw up on their shoes and yeah. they there for the finals i mean yeah yeah i mean it's hilarious yeah no i mean and, and not that there's anybody who'd be listening to a stanford uh women's basketball podcast i mean there should be because it's a fantastic <laughs> team tier vandevere if anybody yeah, does are. deserve you know somebody to fall down and, and worship someone in women's basketball it'd be her but like uh you know but it's stanford so sorry but like <laughs> uh <laughs> but like uh yeah exactly i mean it was just comical i watched that game and it was hilarious you know stanford's i mean one of the best i mean it was one of the best basketball teams in the country you know last year's and, and yeah throwing up on their shoes pretty much exactly what happened in that tournament it was just hilarious what happened um i mean unless you were one of those uh ladies families i guess then you would not seem very funny um but uh yeah but you know good for the kooks for taking advantage but like if you were a talented team who didn't throw up on your shoes you should smash this team and that's what i expect to happen um you know if kelly graves gets his act together uh uh all right yeah let's we'll take a break let's we'll see let's we'll see how they respond it, it, it's gonna be uh an interesting season uh, with both of the Washington programs. And yeah, definitely. Seeing how this falls out. And also like really interesting how, like how differently composed they are, you know, like how, like how, like sort of rock solid, uh, you know, high floor, low ceiling, the, the Pullman team is and how like, you know, radically opposite ends of the spectrum, the, you know, the, you know, high ceiling, low floor, um, the, the team in Seattle, uh, could be, um, yeah, should be very interesting to watch. Um, all right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, uh, we'll talk about, uh, Oregon state men's basketball. All right. Uh, you're starting the men's basketball preview series, uh, with the beeves, uh, Wayne Tinkle's program has some, uh, you, this, this article should go up, uh, uh, tomorrow at the same time that this podcast is going up or on the same day. Anyway, um, uh, you've got your, uh, homework done and, and just, uh, the need to write the article. I, I understand. Yeah. Um, so I have yeah. not read your article yet. You're going to have to tell me <laughs> no. all about this team. Um, a couple of seasons ago, um, uh, I'm sure Duck fans will remember in with Glee, um, uh, Oregon State's three and twenty eight season. You know, mm-hmm. after after a bunch of seasons where Wayne, Wayne Tinkle was was solid with his coaching, uh, had coached you know teams to. 16, 18, 20 wins. It went to the Elite Eight. Then he comes out firing uh, a squirt gun, and they have a three and twenty-eight season. So mm. that, that's what uh, that's what last season was attempting to rebound from, and they kind of did it, but kind of didn't. Uh, last season, uh, Oregon State was. 11 and 21 and they were five and 15 in the pac 12. They, uh, uh, they showed some improvement uh, as far as wins and losses, but they, they still weren't uh, a very good uh, team. Yeah. 
Uh, for example, they they lost both of their games against Portland State last season. Mm. Um, it's true. Uh, the Portland State Vikings were the second best uh, uh, program in the state. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And then, um, um, which is actually the, saying something because the University of Portland is often a very good team, but they sort of had a bit of a down year this year too. Yeah. Um, the uh, the Beavers were five and fifteen in the Pac-12, and that put them eleventh in the rankings. They were um, uh, only um, surpassed <laughs> in losing by California, which, mm-hmm. which only won two uh, games. And they the fired their coach, unlike Oregon State. Mm-hmm. And uh, two of Oregon State's. Uh, wins in the Pac-12 was against California, mm-hmm. so um, so they weren't really very good. Uh, they had uh, two main players that were responsible for um, the vast majority of their offensive output. Um, one was Jordan uh, Pope, um, and the other one was Glenn Taylor Jr. The good news for Oregon State is that they return uh, Pope. Uh, the bad news is that Glenn Taylor hit the transfer portal and uh, Pepperdine picked him up a little while He's ago. Like, I'm like the only good player on this team. I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so this coming season is going to be a, a big rebuilding effort. The, this Oregon State team's really young. They're they're comprised mostly of uh, freshmen and sophomores. They only have um, two juniors and two seniors. And uh, one of the juniors was a uh, uh, transfer uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, Nate Midoff, who came from the illustrious College of Southern Idaho. He's got he he can shoot, you know. He's got some uh, decent numbers uh, in his career at uh, Southern Idaho, uh, but it, it's not the Pac-12. So, you know, so we'll see how. Uh, he but that's can it. That's it, the only like new throw. player that they've added. I mean, it's a it was it was not a good roster. Like you know, right. I mean, when I do right. my football stuff, it's like, well, well, you had a bad roster. You should overhaul it. And like they've taken one transfer. Um, well, they uh, and, yes. and they they lost yeah. one of their two good players and they've taken one transfer who's from yeah. like from is Southern Idaho, like a division two school or something. Yeah. yeah. Like NIA or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they're they're counting on some decent production from some of their freshmen. Um, they, they have uh, a seven foot center, Gavin Mars, who's coming in uh, mm. as a freshman. Um, and they also signed Josiah Lake. Now, uh, Josiah Lake's father played for OSU in 1998 to 2000. So he's got a family connection, and um, he's a six foot two guard that uh, you know is certainly uh, capable of coming in and doing the job. Yeah, he's got a, a pedigree, and he was uh, he was motivated to commit to Oregon State, you know, because that's where his dad played. Well, but the um, the other freshman that they have is a six uh, ten forward Thomas Ndong, uh, who's from the NBA Academy of Latin America, and then there's a six seven forward that that came on as a preferred walk on, uh, Greg Garrison. So yeah. they're bringing in some height with the, the freshman, but yeah, was it a short team last year? Like, are, are they trying to get taller? Um, no, there was, there was some attrition last season. Uh, they had, uh, they had a couple players that left, 
uh, Nick Kraus was a, a freshman last year and he entered the transfer portal. And then of course, Glenn Taylor Jr. Right. Uh, did the same thing. Well, um, I mean, that's what I was, you know, when we were going through trying to find, you know, the recruiting rankings. I was just like, I couldn't find that they had recruited anybody. Like, I think I ultimately found that they had taken like one recruit who, who's like a scholarship recruit, you know, and it was just like a ton of dudes who were either walk-ons or like they were given scholarships to, to guys that like, you know, the, the, the recruiting services had not bothered to, to hand out star ratings to. And, And it just strikes me as like, you know, it's a, it's probably a low talent team, which means like, you know, maybe they get lucky, you know, and somebody works out who's like, he's tall, you know, I guess, but like, you know, that, that that sort of seems like the short and long of it, you know, like, I don't know, like it, it it just sort of seems like Wayne Tinkle, like he got his son on the team and then that was it. That was the extent of the accomplishments of Wayne Tinkle as a basketball coach. Uh, Yeah. Well, I think that some of them, uh, the Beavers recruiting problems. I, I don't think it's coincidental that it's happened in the last couple of years uh, post pandemic and, you know, following the, the um, engagement of NIL into the recruiting picture. Um, one of uh, Oregon state's uh, assistant coaches, Tim Shelton, uh, resigned about a week ago mm-hmm. and he cited uh nil as being uh, a huge handicap uh when it came to recruiting and i can kind of see it yeah uh, i'm sure that uh, that oregon state doesn't have the kind of uh bank account that some of the the big boys have and you know uh, I don't doubt that there's some of Oregon's successes that happen because of the existence of something like Division Street, which, sure. uh, from my understanding, is the number three bankroll uh, in the nation. So, you know, when you when you have the money to use, you know, you use it wisely, of course. But w- when you actually have it to begin with, you uh, you're gonna attract a, a different caliber recruit than, you know, the Washington States and the Oregon States and well, or more uh, all the others. Or to Oregon States, you know, situation with, with Taylor leaving, like it's, it's also useful for like, you know, internal recruiting, you know, like, Hey, did you develop a, a decent player? Like how, you know, keep him from leaving, you know, like, um, mm-hmm you know, you know, Pepperdine's a private school. Mm. Um, I don't know. The, yeah, so the, we, we have, we have no idea what's going on with, with Pepperdine. Same as Stanford or USC. My point That's is, it. look, my, my point is just like, Hey, Hey, if you were a team that won five games last year and you didn't like turn your coach over, um, like you do need to like turn your roster over. Um, and Oregon state didn't do that. Like, you know, and they didn't, and they definitely didn't go out and get a bunch of like uh, high talent dudes. So, like, you know, if you're looking for, you know, prediction for like how they're going to perform, it's, you know, it's probably going to be pretty similar to last year. You know, like there wasn't any particular, you know, it's not like they had a bunch of talented dudes who were like temporarily injured and they're all coming back from injury, right? Like, if you're making a sane mm-hmm. prediction, it's probably going to be, you know, a similar number of wins to last year, give or take a few. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I highly doubt given that their roster, you know, has a similar profile. They lost one of two of their only good players. They're betting on freshmen who are not super talented. Uh, they didn't really take any transfers, uh, you know, of note. Um, and, uh, they have the same coach that it's like, they're not going to go from a five win team to a 20 win team. I'm sorry. That's not in the cards. Uh, and like, even if like they came into a $20 million NIL, you know, situation, you know, tomorrow that wouldn't be in the cards, like not for, you know, the 23, 24 season, like, you know, money doesn't play, uh, you know, like sacks of money do not score baskets and get rebounds. Like, uh, that's just not how it works. No, but they can attract recruits that 
uh, maybe you would not have otherwise. Uh, yeah, but the, taken, the time, taking a look at you, but yeah, but, but the window point, for that is closed. You know, your, like your your point is valid. It's that this is a really young team that has average talent. Uh, they won uh, eleven games last season, but you really don't see them winning sixteen or eighteen games this coming season. I, yeah, I, I really think that. I mean, uh, like in Oregon contract, State has, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Um, you know, regardless, I, I, I really don't see Oregon State being able to elevate themselves very much in terms of overall games or elevating themselves out of the bottom third or maybe well, the, yeah, I the mean, bottom like it, quadrant. It's, it's just a program that if they wanted to take basketball seriously, they would have fired Wayne Tinkle, you know, when he won mm-hmm. three games, you know, and, and they didn't. Um, and, and, you know, and then his well, his, a, res, his response to not getting fired was to just sort of stick with the same recruiting strategy. And it's like, well, you know, if you don't change the inputs, you're not going to change the outputs. Well, some of the um, the um, resistance to firing Broadway was that uh, after getting into the Elite Eight, he'd gotten a contract extension. So mm-hmm. uh, that kind of forces Oregon State to have to stick with them fools uh, in their for money. a little bit but i think that yeah uh, just like it, justin it, wilcox at cal got a contract extension fools in their money yeah um yeah i i can't imagine that uh, if he has a, another subpar season coming up but you got to put him on the hot seat i i, I can i don't i don't think oregon state is serious enough uh you know i i think they'll just keep you know I think I, 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 I think rather than swallow the the buyout, they'll just be bad at basketball and shrug their shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's unfortunate if you're a Beavers fan. Of course, if, if you're uh, 40 minutes south, you can just kind of snicker. Hmm. All <laughs> right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, we'll talk some football. So I am continuing my series uh, writing about the uh, uh, some of the uh, transfers who came in after the spring game to the Oregon Ducks football team. Uh, this week I wrote about um, uh, Gary Bryant Jr., uh, an inside wide receiver who came to Oregon from USC. Um, he uh, he was a 2020 uh, high four star. Um, he played a little bit as a true freshman in 2020, although. 2020 was the COVID year. So like it kind of screws up everybody's like what year they're supposed to be called. Um, uh, USC was, uh, if, if anybody recalls, so they got a new coordinator in 2019. That was Graham Harrell. Um, and in 2019, they had a new quarterback and a new uh, offensive coordinator, you know, Keaton Slovis and Graham Harrell. And they had four, you know, great uh, wide receivers. They had uh, Michael Pittman and Drake London and uh, Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vons. And, you know, they pretty much didn't rotate those guys. They were and and, and you know, their, their passing system was just like Keaton Slovis distributing the balls to those four guys. So Bryant shows up. And uh, in in 2020, um, and uh, uh, and they had returned three of those four guys. Everybody except for Pittman. Um, and Pittman's a tall outside guy. He played X receiver. Um, and so, you know, uh, Bryant's not going to replace Pittman. Um, he's an inside guy. They, they replaced Pittman with uh, uh, Kyle Ford um, and, or Brew McCoy. I, I'm sorry, I forget which. Uh, one of the tall guys. Um, yeah, it was McCoy. There was a whole thing with McCoy. He went to Texas and back. And then he got suspended from the team on the domestic violence things. It was a whole <laughs> weird thing. It was weird, man. It was real weird. Anyway, uh, Bryant just settles in as a true freshman as a, as a, he, he winds up getting like the fifth most targets on the team, but like, that's really not saying much because they, they just do the same thing in 2020 that they were doing in 2019, just throw the ball to their same four guys. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, and then, you know, Oregon played them in the, uh, you know, they went undefeated until Oregon played them in the championship game and then Oregon beat them. Um, 
and uh, so then it's 2021, and uh, and like all those wide receivers leave. You know, McCoy gets kicked off the team. Uh, Vaughn's uh, goes to the NFL. St. Brown goes to the NFL. Drake London returns. He's their like you know leading receiver. And then the next guy is Gary Bryant Jr. He's the inside guy, right? And they bring in one other transfer, and that's uh, Taj Washington, who's uh, from Memphis. Um, Taj Washington is he's about the same height as Gary Bryant Jr., but he's got sort of a different skill set. He's more of like a possession receiver. Um, and uh, uh, he's like he's not really a burner. He's more of a possession guy. Um, so like they wind up having sort of the same amount of yards. And those three guys are like their 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 top three receivers in 2021. Drake London, Gary Bryant Jr., and Taj Washington. Um, and Drake London, like everybody knows, I don't need to belabor what kind of receiver Drake London is, but like Bryant and Washington is sort of like this interesting, you know, two different guys. Uh, uh, um, which if you just look at them on the stat sheet and like look at their builds, you might think, and, and you didn't watch the film, which like, I wouldn't blame you for not watching the 2021 film. Remember that was the year where Clay Hilton got fired after week two and they lost to Stanford and then they like spiraled to this four and eight year. And like, nobody was watching it. Like, like I was the only one who was watching. It was funny. Like I was talking to Alicia D'Artola Castillo, who, um, who writes for reign of Troy. And we talked to her like twice a year, every year. I really like talking to Alicia. And I, I was like, you know, I charted all of these games, Alicia, and she's like, you did? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> you know, it was like, <laughs> it was my job, you know, and it was funny when I was writing my, um, my 2022 summer preview, I was like, man, it was way more useful for me to do the, just like by total coincidence, I did the Oklahoma preview right of the Alamo Bowl, you know, mm -hmm. so like all of that film on Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley was way more useful in previewing USC in 2022 than the film I watched on USC in 2021 of this like headless snake, you know, like, sure. um, so any, but I, but I watched the film anyway, you know, I charted all of the 2021 games, you know, USC's 2021 games anyway. And it did wind up being useful because I had, a ha I had all of Gary Bryant's film, you know, uh, charted and, and it made writing this article super easy because I didn't have to review any more film. Like it already, I, I had it all done already. Like I didn't have to do one single second of extra film work. It was like, as soon as I hit the published article in my previous article on the shed Struther, it was like, I was already ready to go for Gary Bryant. It was great. It like took the week <laughs> off. Actually, that's yeah. not true. I, I got a head start on my Casey Kelly film, but anyway, um, which is hard because it's a tight end and like you have to watch blocking and catches and ooh, the Casey yeah. Kelly film has been difficult, but that's for next week. I'll tell you about it anyway. <laughs> uh, so I, I charted all the Gary Bryant film in 2021 and it's sort of at, at first glance, just looking at the stat sheet and their statures, you might think that Bryant and Washington are sort of in competition with each other, but they're not, not really. They sort of have different skill sets. Gary Bryant is like, exactly what you think of as a deep field burner out of the slot like his what he wants to do all day long like what god put him on earth to do is run the skinny post out of the slot just like take the top off of the defense he wants to get lined up with a safety either in zone coverage or better yet in man coverage. Oh my God. You just like licking his chops when they put like a safety or even better, a linebacker. Oh my God. Wazoo put a linebacker on him and it was just comical. It's the very first clip in my article. Wazoo puts a linebacker on him and he just destroys him. I mean, it's yeah. hilarious. He beats him to the end zone by like eight paces. I mean, it's just comical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bryant is, I mean, he's so fast. He's, he is easily in 2021, the PAC 12's best, you know, inside receiver, deep field burner. Um, like that's his, that's his whole bag, man, um, is, is inside receiver, deep field burner. Um, and you're supposed to, you know, and, and what he's supposed to like, the, the way that he screws, if you're a defense who's supposed to be defending USC, the way that he just screws you is you probably, the best way that you would have to defend him is just put a cornerback on him, like put three cornerbacks on the field. But most teams don't have a third cornerback that can cover him. So they have to put a safety on him and your safeties can't handle it. Um, and so we just 
burns him. And so even though he's not Drake London, like NFL bound, you know, six foot four Drake London, he's like five ten. Um, uh, uh, he still winds up with as many touchdowns as Drake London does. You know, Drake London's having like a Blitnikoff season and he has as many touchdowns as Drake London. In fact, he should have had one more. They robbed him in the UCLA game. The refs, you know, uh, robbed him, but, you know, it was like six inches shy. But anyway, um, and I put that clip in my article. You can watch for yourself. Yep. Anyway, the, <laughs> I saw uh, that. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, uh, and there was another one too. I didn't put in my article because the film wasn't very good, but like he, you know, he had seven touchdowns. He could have easily had a couple of more. Um, anyway, uh, so, uh, whereas Taj Washington is much more of a possession receiver. He's much more of the guy who just like runs out five yards on a stop route. And he's, you know, he's got really good hands, you know, or like, you know, screen passes or, or just little, you know, inside routes, you know, that sort of stuff. So they're not really, their skill sets aren't really in competition with each other. So, so then fast forward to the next year. Right. So now it, like it's it's, you know, December, uh, uh, January, April, May uh, of, you know, the next season. And what happens? Lincoln Riley comes in and Lincoln Riley gets three transfers for the inside receiver room. He gets uh, uh, Mario Williams that he brings with him from Oklahoma. He gets Jordan Addison, who's an inside receiver from Pitt, who actually did win the Blitnikoff last year. And he gets uh, Tyrell uh, Bynum, uh, who's a possession receiver from Washington. This gets really confusing. Bynum is from Washington. Washington is from Memphis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, and it's like... so he's got like five dudes in his inside wide receiver room. He's actually got a couple more than that. Cause Helton was recruiting a bunch of like three stars, but like the three stars are willing to set on the bench. All the, those, uh, those five dudes that I just mentioned, Bryant Washington, the two returners who had, you know, excellent production in 2021 and the three transfers, Williams, Addison and Bynum, those, those five guys aren't willing to sit on the bench. Um, and he Riley's system. I can tell, I can tell you from having done a bunch of film study on it. Cause I did all that Oklahoma study. And then I did all that USC study for 2022. His system doesn't have room for five dudes. It's got room for three dudes who are like alpha dudes. Um, so like effectively by bringing in those three transfers, he was, and like, he's not going to bring in transfers to then, tell those transfers to, to leave. So he was effectively like tell, even though Bynum or excuse me, Bryant and Washington had really good seasons, he was telling them to leave. And so it was like, uh, I don't really know that this was the best decision in the world. Um, and then like, then we finished the 2022 season and it's like, dude, you would have had exactly the same season if you didn't push, you know, Brian out the door. Um, you know, you're, the, the reason that they had problems with their season had to do with like their massive defensive problems and their offensive line problems, like optimizing their inside wide receiver room. You know, this is like the same problem that every Pac-12 coach has is they're like the kid in the candy store when it comes to like, oh, we could get even more offensive, you know, firepower and I could get even slightly more marginal value for my inside wide receiver room. Well, that should definitely take all of my attention. What What's that you say? I should fix my defensive line oh no that's for the birds you know it's just like jesus christ guys anyway so that's all that's all what happens bryant has a fantastic 2021 season and lincoln riley pushes him out the door which is just like yeah link that's why you lost um to to utah uh so anyway um and to tulane um (laughs) yeah (laughs) so 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 bryant uh uh you know he he decides to stick around and fight for his job um, and actually, so does so does uh, Taj Washington. And the interesting thing is that Taj Washington actually wins um, and Terrell Bynum winds up transferring out at the end of the 2022 season. Um, hmm. But but which is like really demonstrates that that Lincoln Riley doesn't know what he's doing in terms of roster management. But like uh, but Gary Bryant does not win. He is not able to simultaneously beat Mario Williams and Jordan Addison. Um, I'm not sure anybody in the that position could, given that like Mario Williams came with 
Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma and Jordan Addison literally won the Bolitnikoff. Like, you yeah. know, like I don't really think that's any knock on Gary Bryant. Um, and I don't think the fact that Taj Washington won his battle is a knock and Gary Bryant didn't win his battle is a knock on Gary Bryant either because number one, of course he bet on himself. Like everybody has to have a massive ego in order to play football. Like I don't blame him for like, I don't think that was unwise or anything, or even if I do think it was unwise, I don't blame him for it being unwise because you have to have a massive ego. And even if like, whatever i i don't you don't hire him to be an excellent tea relief reader you hire him to catch footballs like i don't you know Mm -hmm. anyway um he wasn't going to win that battle he maybe shouldn't have participated in that battle and should have transferred out earlier so he could have been playing in 2022 but like whatever he didn't that's just not what happened so like he what he winds up doing is playing like just a couple of games in 2022 just i think to put on film that he was healthy you know, like, hey, everybody, there's nothing wrong with me or anything. I'm perfectly healthy. I'm just like lost my battle to Mario Williams and Jordan Addison. So I'm hitting the portal, shutting it down, preserving my red shirt for this year because the 2020 season didn't count because the eligibility holiday. Uh, right. So I'm taking a red shirt this year. Um, and so he sits out the rest of 2022 because he has to, right? Like he 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 went over the, the July 31st deadline. Um, so he didn't effectively didn't play in 2022. So see, he still has three to play three remaining. And all the film that I had on him was 2021. Mm-hmm. So that's the film that I watched and, or had already watched and then went back and dug through to put up, you know, for my article. So I put in like, I what are like 24 clips in my article. It's all excellent. Like it's great film. I mean, he's a fantastic burner. He's a fantastic deep field burner. He's a fantastic, uh, you know, short, field you know like he's got great short area burst so he does like short stuff you know great he's a great screen receiver he's tough as hell like there's all these clips in my article where he's taken like hard hits and like the you know because like because defenders keep trying to jar the bar loose because he's like 510 they figure like oh we can hit him real hard and that'll knock it loose nope never happened um there's also because like Clay Helton really mismanaged the roster. He has like no tall receivers who are viable. So like on 40% of snaps, even though Gary Bryant is five foot 10 and you should not be playing him on the outside, they had him playing on the outside. And so I put it some clips in my article of it's like, well, here's what happens when you try to put a five ten guy on the outside and, and have him run sideline deep routes. Like sometimes mm-hmm. he wins. Like half the time he wins and still puts together some spectacular plays. And I put some of those clips in and they're real fun, but like sometimes he loses. Cause of course that's happens. Like that's why you don't put short guys on the outside. Like the taller cornerbacks just sort of like, even if you burn the tall cornerback down the sideline, the tall cornerback is just sort of reaches up and smacks the ball down because the, the ball has to come in at a steep angle. Cause you're short, right? The reason why tall, I'm making hand gestures, which no one's going to see. Like the, <laughs> the reason why tall outside receivers are preferred is that the tall outside receiver can jump up and get a ball that's eight feet off the ground or more. And so the pass angle can be shallow and the, the tall cornerback who's burned can't just swat the ball down. But a yeah. short guy can't do that. So that's why you don't have short guys run sideline burn routes. On the other hand, short guys can still run like in-breaking routes routes and like comebacks and and slants and other intermediate routes and like Gary Bryant's real good at those so I put a bunch of those clips in my article too so he's just like this guy's a really good receiver like really good and like the reason I spent like 20 minutes reciting this whole history of what happened to Gary Bryant is because if anybody's scratching their head saying like I don't remember this guy at all the reason is because he only played on a one you didn't see him as a true freshman because they had like four elite receivers in 2020. You didn't see him in 2021 because you weren't watching USC in 2021 because who the hell was. And also they had Drake London to the extent that any, you saw any like highlight real plays. You were just watching Drake London. Uh, you didn't see him in 2022 cause he red shirted, but that wasn't his fault. That was Lincoln Riley's fault. Um, and, and if you wanted to see highlight reel clips, you have to read my article, but like, oh my God, read my article. And to the extent that USC fans would complain about him, they would be complaining about him because like, oh, he, he couldn't beat this tall cornerback 
you know, because like, you know, like like uh, Rajon Wright at Oregon State, like in the Oregon State game, which like USC lost to Oregon State for like the first time in 40 years or something like that. And like one of the reasons why was that Rajon Wright kept beating Gary Bryant. And it's like, well, flipping, of course he did. You lined him up as a Z receiver and had him run flag rights routes against a guy who has six inches on him. And like you know it's like that's not his fault man it's like i spent some time in my article explaining it's like this is this has everything to do with clay helton and graham harrell and nothing to do with gary bryant like if you put him on a good team that doesn't have a nincompoop you know for an offensive coordinator who puts him out of position and you know and has a properly managed roster so that you put the guy where he belongs to you know is supposed to be and doesn't have him run routes that he's you know not built in order to run and doesn't have him go up against cornerbacks that he's not doesn't have the stature to beat like he's phenomenal it's like you know he also wouldn't be a very good offensive lineman you know it's like you know i bet he'd be a really crappy left tackle like what are you doing usc fans getting upset at him you know like uh, it was yeah yeah so i assume that then um oregon has the the correct roster to have the taller uh, outside receivers and and use Bryant properly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Or if they do want to play him on the outside for, for, you know, for, for fun, like that they're not dummies and they won't, they'll have him run the, the, the routes that he will be, would be successful at running, not like, the 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 routes that he wouldn't be successful at running and it is very clear from the film which ones those are and and in case like you forgot after i told you what those were two minutes ago you can just read my article <laughs> because i put a bunch of clips it's like there's a very clear delineation don't run them have them run these have them run these like yeah uh so yeah you know oregon already has troy Flank- franklin coming back and then on the outside they have multiple other guys you know they have four different freshmen who are all super tall you know dicky and cozart and uh casper and um and uh, uh justice uh low and uh and then also they've been able to play uh um hudson um on the outside even though he's not like a super tall guy he's been a very successful outside receiver um uh you know so they have like a bunch of options you know on the outside they do not need to play gary bryant on the outside at the very least they don't need to play gary bryant on the outside is like well shoot somebody's got to run the flag route i guess it'll be you gary because like we forgot to recruit anybody else like not true for oregon um so like yeah like i i don't anticipate that being an issue the only issue that i anticipate is that oregon's got three at least three really good inside receivers in the form of gary bryant tez johnson chris hudson and then josh delgado who's been like hurt for the last two years i don't really know what josh delgado's story is um mm-hmm. and so it's like you know i will will um you know and then they got running backs who were all like threats to catch the ball out of you know like dante dowdle for example who's like six two like I, I sort of thought that they think that they got him in order to catch a bunch of wheel routes so it's like there's actually a bit of a log jam at inside receiver i don't you know like they may not have enough catches to go around you know for that you know but it's like yeah it's a it's a really you know sexy room um uh uh yeah and, and gary bryant's great and it's sort of like is really it really sucks for USC that he got lost in the shuffle, but like, Hey, you know, I don't really, you know, I'll just come out and say it, it was really dumb that, that, uh, Lincoln Riley took all that heat and took Jordan Addison. Like, uh, you know, like he sh- should have just stuck with Gary Bryant. He could have had him for two years instead of a- Addison for one year. The additional marginal value that he got out of Jordan Addison, um, was small compared to what Bryant would have got him. Um, and that wasn't his problem last year. And, you know, for that dumb mistake, uh, um, Oregon benefits. So thanks link. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for me as well. It was like, um, one of the commenters said, um, after your article, yep. Bo Nix has to be salivating at oh, yeah. his targets. He's got to be. Oh yeah. I don't know. It's just, I mean, the wide receiver core is ridiculous. Uh, I don't yeah. know. um yeah and and it's well managed too and as i was talking about in my oregon preview a couple of weeks ago it's like well layered you know like they can it 
if they're having a problem with some of the freshmen at the outside receiver, who's the other guy, you know, the opposite Troy Franklin, they can move Hudson on the outside without sacrificing inside, you know, because they got Johnson and Bryant, you know, like Bryant was the extra piece that makes this go or like all these guys are the pieces that make this go, but it's like layered. Whereas I look at other, like USC has a nice room, no doubt, but it's like their outside options are like, you know, requires Brendan Rice to be really good and really consistent. And like, he's not really consistent. I mean, you know, that was something that, you know, when we talked to Alicia this year, she was like, she was pulling her hair out with how frustrating, you know, Brendan Rice is. And Oregon's like, you know, we have multiple options, lots, you know, we have an A plan, a B plan and a C plan and they're layered options, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and, and Gary Bryant was like, part of layering those options, um, which is what good roster management looks like. All right. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Let's wrap it up there. You got any parting words of wisdom for us, Badwater? No, not particularly wise words, but the, uh, the grass pollens are dying down. So fall must be around the corner in spite of the good weather. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, I guess that might mean that uh, uh, rain might be around the corner, but it never rains on this podcast.